Hello, and welcome to the WWIA podcast. We're honored to have you join us in our mission to bring honor, connection, and healing to America's combat-wounded Purple Heart heroes. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, we welcome you. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. Please be sure to tell others about our podcast and leave us a review if you're enjoying what you're hearing. On today's episode, WWIA founder and CEO John McDaniel is honored to spend time talking with an incredible American patriot and hero. Crystal Massick is a Purple Heart recipient, WWIA guide, and host of the inaugural Rocky Point Recreation Area, South Dakota Archery Antelope Hunt. Crystal proudly served in the Army Reserves for 26 years and is an avid hunter and angler who appreciates and enjoys most anything outdoors, especially new experiences in traveling. Of all of Crystal's accomplishments and successes, none of them mean more to her than her daughter Lexi, who also proudly serves our nation's armed forces as a combat medic in the U.S. Army. Let's join John and Crystal now for an outstanding conversation. Hi, I'm John McDaniel, founder and CEO of the Wounded Warriors in Action Foundation, and this is our podcast, Honor, Connect, and Heal. And so I have with us today a very special guest, uh, Crystal Messick. And uh, Crystal is a Purple Heart recipient. She's been through our guide school. Um, she's been on, I don't know, 10, 15 missions for the foundation. She's starting her own mission uh, to support combat wounded um, under the foundation's umbrella. She's in a very accomplished sports uh, woman, and um, she's a leader, a great leader, former first sergeant, retired as a master sergeant, and I'd like to welcome you, Crystal, to the program. How are you? Good. Thank you, John, for having me. Yeah. Well, it's it's great to have you. I, um, you know, I've met you several times. The uh, first time I, I, I met you, um, I was very impressed with your poise, uh, with your leadership, and just, uh, you know, who you are as a person. And so, you know, you uh, came on to and uh, joined our ranks. Uh, you know, I, you know, asked you to, you know, to be uh, considered going through our guide school. You were the first female to do that. So you're out there leading operations as a former soldier, master sergeant, former first sergeant, now retired, you retired in the spring of 22, and now you're running around out there, um, you know, helping our, our, our uh, combat wounded, and uh, you're doing a great job, and I just wanted to hear from you to, you tell us a little bit about your experience there with the foundation, some of the things you've done, uh, if you don't mind, please. Sure. So, I... Was that I, was, I work at the nuclear plant and I was working night shift and I was out there browsing the computer at night looking for hunts that I could go on and I ran across your organization just I mean just by searching for places to go hunting and I put an application in it was a couple months later and Karina gave me a call and which was very soon I was surprised but she had had a cancellation and wanted to know if I wanted to go on an alligator hunt and I was like oh my goodness, you know, I've, I've never considered killing an alligator before. Like I'm in Missouri. <laughs> so I was like, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't have to think hard about it. You know, I was like, yeah, mm. put me on there. So um, I got to go on this alligator hunt. And when I was there, I got picked up um, by a guy in a wheelchair. And that, Pat Corcoran, right? Was that's it Pat? Correct. Sergeant yeah. Major Pat Corcoran, you bet. Yeah. And he called me prior to the event and I was all excited and um, I get there and we we went out and did the alligator hunt and at night we were staying in their lodge and when I was laying there on the couch he came over and put a a blanket over me just to make sure I was warm you know I was turned the other way and and I was like man that was just so touching wow Sergeant yeah. Major Pat Corcoran did that yeah and, and he's in a wheelchair and he did that for you and. Yeah, wow. he's still giving back, you know, and I was just like, yeah. man, there, there, was, there was just something so touching about that. And and the whole time I was there, I felt like I was sitting on my hands because everybody wanted to cater to you and help mm -hmm. you. And 
And it's just like, I want to help, you know, like, right. oh, <laughs> I, I know that. I'm, I'm more of a doer than a, you know, and right. I just kept wanting to help and nobody would let me help, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, man, I got to be part of this, you know, right. and uh, Keith Tidball was down there too. Great and, American. Yes. Great American. Yeah. And we, we were at the end of the event, we were sitting at the table kind of doing an AR, AAR, and mm. I happened to be there later than the other people. And I told Keith, I wanted to be part of this. and. I guess he got with you mm-hmm. and lo and behold, I got a phone call. I don't, I, I was traveling to South Dakota to do antelope. I'm, I'm always out there chasing antelope, you know, mm-hmm. and you gave me a phone call and I was just like, just blown away. I was like, so excited. <laughs> like, <that's great. laughs> Maybe I'll get to do this, you know? So, so, so that's what it was like. They, you know, and there they had, you know, the, the bank, like a dinner where everybody mm. greeted you. And I mean, it was yep. the first time me ever seeing how one of these events went on. And mm-hmm. I was just, it was, it was very uh, heartfelt. Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's a great story. You know, um, that the alligator, the alligator hunt, I was like the, you know, we don't do it anymore. We did it for many, many years. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was one of our first missions and it was just me and, and, and one other guy and, and, and a boat and some primitive weapons and, and a guy um, who had a, an idea that we could do this. So I, I took uh, Vic Dominguez, God bless him, a uh, ranger who, uh, you know, you know, been severely wounded, uh, with, you know, third degree burns over, I think, 85% of his body. God bless that, that man. But we went alligator hunting together and then from there, it, it, it expanded and got, you know, we got airboat clubs involved. And, <laughs> you know, the next thing you know, we're running around the swamps of Florida, with, you know, on airboats at night with primitive weapons and combat wounded, you know, and, and hunting dangerous game animals. <laughs> and uh, it, the funny story that I like to tell about that is it's the only event that we were that that nobody would insure. Nobody would insure that event. I think we went all the way to Lloyd's of London and said, hey, listen, this is what's going on. You know, and I was just being honest with them, and they're like, okay, mm-hmm, all right, airboats, got it, uh, at night, got it, <laughs> primitive weapons, got it, uh, uh, combat wounded veterans, got it, and uh, dangerous game animals, eh. They said, you know, we were in for all four of those five, but when you added that last one, the you know, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. So we ended up did we ended ultimately we did figure out how to get it insured. But you know, I mean, if you start thinking about all the things that could go wrong on a mission like that, it's like going into combat, kind of right. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. So you did kill an alligator, didn't you? Yeah, and I, that's one thing I love about our program is we take people all over from different states, you know, and we place them in other states to do things that they yeah. wouldn't normally hunt or fish. And like, I just, I tried to watch some like YouTube videos. Cause I'm like, I'm gonna look stupid. I have no idea how you kill an alligator. <laughs> so people yeah. are like, haven't you seen this show? Or this? I'm like, I don't oh. watch. Well, stuff. it's different in every state. Like in, in Louisiana, you know, there's a program you see on TV where they, you know, they shoot them, junior, shoot them, you know, <laughs> but right. that, that, that's a, they they can use treble hooks, right, in Louisiana, and they bait them that way, and the gators jump up, you know, come out of the water, they smell the rotten chicken, grab it, and there's a treble hook, and it's like fishing, then you go and dispatch the gator. But in Florida, you got to use a primitive weapon, which means you you got to, you know, throw a spear at them. So there, it's a pretty fair it's pretty fair chase deal going on in Florida compared to, you know, the other, nothing wrong with the other methods, okay? But, yeah, so I digress. Anyway, it's, 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 it's very interesting and I'm glad. And, and not only that, but you've also, you know, you're an accomplished, uh, do you use the word huntress? Some women do. I don't know. No, I don't, I don't care. Hunter, you're an accomplished hunter. Can I just yes. say that? Yes. Okay. So you are, but you've killed, and you're an archer. You're a very successful archer, which I love. I love archery. I mean, I, I, I mean, I cut my teeth on a recurve bow with wooden arrows when I was 11. You know, I mean, I was flinging, you know, fiberglass, you know, arrows, wooden arrows out of a fiberglass bow from the 1940s that my dad had in the garage of all things. And, and that's how I cut my teeth as a traditional archer for years. And uh, here it is. You are, you know, I, I've seen all kinds of pictures, but you've you've killed. I don't know how many deer probably probably, you know, you've probably killed more deer than polio has killed people. Um, they say that 
I say that funny, you know, with tongue in cheek there, but no, you you killed a moose and you've killed a in terms of large game animals, you've killed a moose and you've killed an elk both with your bow, right? Yeah, last year was my first moose and my first elk with a bow. It's a monster. Like, so what's it like to be that close? I've been that close to a moose and that close to an elk, but never close, never had the opportunity, you know, to, to, you know, that at that close range, take a crack at one with a bow. So just tell us real quick, what's that experience like to be that? Just talk about the moose for a minute, because that thing is like, you're, you're a small person, you know, that, that thing has got to be like, I don't know. 10 times your size or much greater? I mean, 20 times your size? So tell us, what's it like What's it like to be 50 yards from a, from a bull moose with a bow and arrow and at full draw? So I kind of like the military. You know how you train like you fight? Something about when I first came up on this moose, I was very calm, collective. I drew and I shot. I don't know how. Like, I wasn't shaking anything. Um but I had to get a second shot. I mean, like you said, it is a big animal. So that was, you know, a little over 45 yards on my first shot. And then it kind of hit me like, oh, my gosh, you know, this this animal is huge. And, and wow, you know, um, I'm going to have to go, you know. Track find, him? Yeah. I mean, find, did he take I mean, off? Obviously, we took he, off when you shot him. Yeah, he took off. And, and I'd say I was probably a little bit high you know, on my shot. Like when you say successful hunter, I was kind of laughing because it's kind of a relative term, you know, for us. Oh, for all of us. I mean, come <laughs> right? on. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. True. I mean, that means we got the animal down like one way or another, but <laughs> right. No, it's like me in ranger school, you know, I had to go through the course twice, you know, it doesn't say recycle on the tab. Okay. Just, you know, uh, I'm yeah. a ranger, you know, so it's like anything else in life. You know, you you keep you keep pursuing it until you you know you get you become successful at it, right? That's yeah. it. Yeah. So keep tell us what, what so what happens? So I had to run across the road, and I I waited a while, um, and I just had to end up eventually. I went back to him and got up on him, and he was laying down hurting but not dead yet, mm-hmm. and and that was um, exhilarating. Right there. Yeah, I mean, real close to an, a- an animal yeah. that large that you Correct. need to dispatch. 20 yards, yeah, with a belt. Yeah. And I just, so the first shot, cool, calm, and collective. I'm like, did I really do that? Just, <laughs> just you know, training. Just right. <laughs> the second shot, I, w- I was a little a wreck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, I know. Hey, I know. If, <laughs> listen, if your heart is, I'm, uh, this, this last weekend, I've been with one of my good buddies, uh, Stu Strunzi, who, I grew up with uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we hunted together from the time, the first time that we met each other, um, you know, back in basically grade school. And uh, we were talking um, yesterday about, uh, you know, the feeling that you get when you get, you know, close to a, a large game animal. You know, some people, you know, get what they call buck fever, where they can't do anything. They become paralyzed. And, um, like just start shaking uncontrollably. And I've seen it. I've seen people that get that. Now, I don't have that. But what I do have every time is an elevated heart rate and and it's exhilarating. And, and uh, you know, every sense of mine is like focused like a laser beam on what I'm about to do because it's serious business. You're fixing to take a life, you know, and that's serious. And, and, and it can go wrong. You know, in lots of ways, especially with with a like a um, a moose for crying out loud. You know, if if he busts you and you shoot and you know miss or or wound him, he decides to come at you. I mean, that could be a very very bad day. It could they can kill you. You know, I mean, it's a serious. You know, you know, people don't think about moose as as a as a dangerous game animal. But when I lived up in Alaska, I was in Alaska for oh I don't know four years. I think it was, but. My next door neighbor, when I was in Fairbanks, I was both in Fairbanks and Anchorage uh, at different units at different times. But um, when I was in up at Planet Fairbanks, um, living up there in the bush, my neighbor was a dog musher, and I got to I got to 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 know him uh, fairly well, I guess. I don't know, but anyway, he was uh, you know how they train their they they train their dogs you know, to pull four-wheelers instead of sweat sled something in the summertime because they don't have snow. So there he's out there training his, his, his dogs, and he comes around, and they all carry sidearms just for the fact that there's dangerous animals up there. 
So he comes around this corner and standing right there on the path is a giant bull moose. And the moose are like, you know, I don't, they don't distinguish between a wolf and an Alaskan husky. To them, they're all wolves. And they know what wolves are, and they know what and wolves will run down a moose. So, and especially in the snow. So, because they walk on top of it and the moose is, you know, post holing. So he tells the story out, you know, the dogs get tangled up with his moose, and the moose decides to stand his ground. He's like, I'm not leaving. I'm not running. I know what happens when I run. I got to stand my ground. So there the dogs are all tethered to this, you know, to this sled. And there's the musher, you know, tangled up with a moose. And the moose is just stomping the dogs, you know, with their hoofs. You know, he said it was, you know, it was a nightmare, you know, and he had to grab his, you know, sidearm and dispatch the animal and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, hey, you know, it's a it's a dangerous world out there. But congratulations on that. That's a, I bet you have a, a a freezer full of meat, and I bet you have a lot of friends that enjoyed that as well. Yeah, <laughs> I have a pretty full freezer. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And so, also, you're you you also like to fish too, don't you? Yeah, I like to fish. Archery is probably my favorite, but I, I fish quite a bit in the summer. Yeah, and you're in the middle. You're in the middle of Missouri in this little 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 place near 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 Fulton. You have a you have a, a daughter that uh, is is going through ROTC right now. Is that right? She's going to be an officer. Yeah, she's she wants to be a PA. She's in the medical. She went through uh, the National Guard and now she's in ROTC. I mean, she went through combat medic school and now she's in her going in. She's halfway through her fourth year of college. So wow. and she'll be commissioning. You know, after she got a semester of school left. So. Uh, you got that silver dollar already. <laughs> you know, I don't really understand your all's uh, officer rank stuff, but I'm more on the listed side. But I'll definitely be proud of her. However, you know, I did uh, guide her that direction, though. You know, we all go yeah. through our life and we say this this would be a good direction to go. If I knew any better myself, you know, this is where how I do it. So. Well, that's that's quite a, that's quite an accomplishment. I'm I'm happy for her, and I'm I'm proud proud of what she's doing. That's great. Yeah. Well, I was enlisted first, so if that 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 you know, so you gotta give me a little bit of a break. I wasn't enlisted long, but I was private. <laughs> I was private McDaniel. I will tell you that. Um, and for those of you that don't know the silver dollar, um, the way it works is, um, you know, when you become com- a commissioned officer, you are an officer, you're a non-commissioned officer, but is you a commissioned officer and you, uh, you can only get commissioned one of three ways. You can go to a military academy, you know, West Point, the Naval Academy, Citadel, there's a handful of them out there that when you graduate, you know, you become, you are commissioned an, an, an officer in, in a branch of the service and the Air Force Academy has one too. So Naval Academy, Military Academy, you know, at West Point, all this. So those are a source of commission. ROTC, Reserve Officer Training, ROTC, is also a major source uh, from which our our armed services produce officers. And um, and then the other third, the third one is direct commission. Oh, I guess there's there there there's fourth. There's a fourth. There's there's also um, officer candidate school. And and that's uh, that's also another way. And then direct commission, which doesn't happen until there's like wartime. But at the end of the day, when you get commissioned and the first person that salutes you, the first <laughs> enlisted person, I think it's the first person that salutes you and in case you're second lieutenant. So second lieutenants don't salute each other. And, and so it's going to be an enlisted person that salutes you. But when you get your first salute, tradition has it that you pull out of your pocket a silver dollar and you salute return the salute and then you present the silver dollar to the first person that salutes you. So, um that's kind of cool. You got to get her a silver dollar. I'm sure she'll I'm sure she's already thinking about that. At least I hope she is. It's kind of a cool thing. Um but yeah, that's what that's all about. That's going to be a great day. That's going to be a great I, day for you. Since I retired last year then I don't have to salute her is what you're telling me. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying anything. You're mom. You're in charge. You're always in charge. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm very excited. So. I bet you are. Oh, that's just, that's fantastic. You know, and, and the other thing that I wanted to share with everybody, you know, about you, um, which I, I, I just find, you know, I find anybody who has a skill set that I don't have, which I got a pretty limited skill set, honestly. But anybody that has a skill set that I don't have, 
I have a tendency to admire. You know, I just like, and I'll give you an example with you. You're an electrician. You're a journeyman, right? Yeah. Yes, I'm a qualified journeyman. Qualified, qualified journeyman. Like, and and so the reason I admire that is because I just, I, 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 first off, I don't understand electricity. I'll be honest with you. I just don't, I don't get it. I like little simple things. Okay. I get, I, I can understand. But like, if you asked me to like rewire a house, I'd be like, dude, I hope you brought your lunch. Okay. Cause one, this is going to take me a month of Sundays and two, it's not going to be right. Cause I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Right. And so for a journeyman, like you even asked me to like, you know, the outlets, like, you know, how they get worn after a while, like all the outlets in my house, a few of them need to be replaced because they've been over, they've been used, you know. But if you ask me to do that job, I mean, I reckon I could probably do it, okay? But there's a high probability that I'm going to get shocked in the process and that scares the hell out of me. So I don't know what to do. So I'm not going to do that. But I appreciate very much so that you are, you know, a, a qualified journeyman. Tell me about that. I mean, what, what, what does that really mean? What do you do with that? I mean, I started out in the union, so I'm I'm a big believer in trade schools. I, mm-hmm. um, I was probably in the union for 12 years doing industrial, building hospitals, and build, we built from the ground up, running a lot of conduit and stuff. Um, I worked at the nuclear plant for three or four months as a contractor, and I thought I, I'd kind of like this, a stable job where I'm not driving to different job sites every day. And I said, with my military expertise, I could – um, I have leadership skills and I have the electrical background. So I applied to be electrical supervisor out there. And I've probably been at the nuclear plant for the last 11 years um, working. So um, as far as your outlets, my tools are getting pretty rusty. So <laughs> since I've been a supervisor, but uh, I do try to do some home projects, you know, mm-hmm. on the weekends and stuff. I, I once upon a time, I, uh, I, I, this is probably, I would have to say like, oh, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, I'm guessing eight years ago. So I bought a, a new washer and dryer, uh, clothes washer and dryer. And, um, when I, when they delivered them, I just thought it was a matter of plugging it in, but the plug on the, on the, on the dryer, I think was different than the plug on the wall. They had modernized it, you know, like there's a ground wire there and all this. And so I go, you know, I I can do this. I thought to myself, I can do. I know how to shut off the breaker panel and you know and all this. So I, I rewired it the best I could, and then um and then I turned it on and and it worked. You know, at least it worked for a minute. And so I thought I was real happy that I'd done it right. And that's not a huge job, but you know, it's two twenty, isn't two twenty? What's worse, one ten or two twenty? Which one really kills you? I mean, it all could kill you. No, well, see, there you go. It all can kill you. And. So I'm sitting there, okay, I've got it working, but I had to, I, I wanted to move it closer to the wall. And in the process, some water came out of the, of the old, you know, there was some water on the floor and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I put my arms around the wa- the, the dryer, you know, like I bear hugged it like this and I started to jockey it back and forth to get it into its position and it shorted out or something happened and it, and it went right through my elbow I felt it go right through my elbow and right down through my right foot, and it pasted me to the floor for just about a second. Yeah. And it scared the living out of me, you know? And I was like, whoa, dude, that's how people die. Right there, that's how people die. And from that point forward, I was like, I'm not messing with this stuff anymore. I'm just calling a professional. My life is too short, <laughs> and I hate what I hate, and I hate it when I don't know what I'm doing. So anyway, but th- that's good for you. Now you work at a... You work at a nuclear power plant now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. And and you're a supervisor? Yeah. So what do you supervise? What are so you supervising in a nuclear electricians. plant? Electricians. I, I mean, I have a group of electricians that work for me. Um, I'm kind of like the middle guy, you know, first line supervisor. Get it from the top and the bottom. <laughs> so, is, it yeah. true that, is it true that stuff rolls downhill? Is it same, the same as in the military? No. You know, I try to stop it at my level, but you never you know go. what my day's going like. <laughs> the buck stops right there. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, I mean, just just to just to just to you know level the bubbles here for everybody. I think I said this at the beginning uh, of the of the podcast, but I mean, 
you served you served your country for 20 plus years you were you were a former first sergeant retired as a master sergeant in the army you um have a purple heart and and i'm sure are many other decorations and um and now you're retired you're, you're a journeyman uh a certified journeyman um you, you have a wonderful daughter who's going to be an, an officer uh in, in the army in the medical service branch you are a volunteer uh for the wounded warriors in action foundation you've been through our guide school which is you know no cakewalk and you're out there giving back by leading these missions across the country and not only have you done that you decided to start your own mission like your own uh, event under the foundation's umbrella. Tell us about that, Crystal. Absolutely. I'm really excited about it. I am, I've been antelope hunting probably the last four years up in South Dakota. And I've been staying at the last campground for like at least the last couple years. And I met um, Brad Nelson, who's a conservation agent up there that runs a campsite. And he said, um, he'd allow us the use of some of their cabins, the conservation department would, so we could wow. have a hunt, a hunt up there. We're just talking over the fire one night, and he he was like, yeah, I'd, um, I'd like to do something. I was like, you know, me too. I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm very familiar with the area. Um, so, I don't know. We decided to do a archery antelope hunt, and, I mean, we talked it over for a long time. We It was no decision we made lightly, so... Well, so where again is this now? We're we're doing this in South Dakota. Yeah, uh, Belfouche. Belfouche. I love mm-hmm. that. You know, Belfouche. That that that's there's some history in Belfouche. Mm-hmm. Lots of it, right? Yeah. I mean, for, for the West, when we settled, almost everything went through Belfouche. It was I mean, there was it was a route to to the West going through Belfouche. So there's also I'm I'm guessing there's a river there, Do you, right? Is there a uh, river? Well, the Missouri River goes through South Dakota. I've I've been on it in South Dakota. But I don't I don't know. Wow, I'm gonna have to. I, I can't wait for that. I mean, I I think that's great. So, how do you? I've I've hunted you know antelope. I was stationed in in Colorado for three years and and gave you know gave that a whack. Um, and um, they're hard to hunt. I think they're hard to hunt, aren't they? I yeah, they are for me. <laughs> I, I am not successful every year I go out there, but they do frustrate me and I keep going. Like I can't let them win. I'm like, I'm trying again. <laughs> so, and I remember the I first time that. I, first time I went out there, it's like, they would be like 800 yards away. And here I am with a bow and I'm like, okay, I got to get close. And you don't have a lot of terrain out there, you know? No, there's not a, not, not a lot of cover either. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of public land. Um, of course, private land right on the other side of it, but there's a lot of public land. It's just it's hard to get close on them. So you have to you have to look for the right ditches, ravines, something you can get in to get around them. And I remember I was so happy the day I got 100 yards to an antelope. It's like wow. Okay, so that was an accomplishment. You right. know, and you still couldn't shoot it because it's 100 yards away. Right. I still couldn't get to it. So yeah. it took me a while to learn. And that's what I love going out on my own, even by myself. I mean, there's something satisfying about. Um, mm-hmm getting something on your own or I mean mm-hmm. I like to learn from people I like a little good mix you know I like to have mentors I'll go out with somebody on one deal and then the next time I'll go by myself because I learn just as much by myself as I do with them you know and then I put that information together in my knowledge bank and I get better at what I'm doing so I like that That's, <laughs> I do that I do no I do the same thing I, I actually prefer I prefer to hunt alone, and I, I, you know, say prefer to fish alone too. Most of my time, when I'm hunting or fishing, and this has been the last 17 years, is is facilitating um, an activity for somebody else, you know. And so that makes that's true, you know. It's the life I've chosen, but that that's why for me to be able to take some time and go do something by myself, um, you know, and it doesn't mean I. Like I don't, I like being around other people. Like I would love to go on a hunt, you know, with other people, you know, like maybe this hunt someday. Um, but uh, hunt alone. See, I mean, I don't mind coming back to camp and 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 that fellowship. I actually like that. But and hunting, you know, to me, uh, you know, is you know, and fishing too. You know, the solitary aspect of it is something that I enjoy. I enjoy hunting with 
other people too, you know, don't get me wrong. But I think if, if you ask me, you know, so I, you know, I identify with that. I absolutely identify with that. So, you know, I, I saw on TV once upon a time, I thought it was a great technique. I wanted to mention it to you, see if you, if you used it or thought about it regarding antelope. But somebody was using, somebody was using these decoys. They were paper decoys that were very convincing that looked like, like a big buck, right? A big um, antelope buck. And they used them and they would creep up, you know, hiding behind the silhouette of this antelope. Did you ever try that? <laughs> Have you tried that? I'm laughing. I mean, you know, you know how all hunting goes. Like decoying works during certain periods, and certain yeah. periods it doesn't. And then some will just be curious, and others won't. You know, on the same day. Um, but I'm laughing because my friend Kay Jordan, she's a gold star mom, mm-hmm. and I take her hunting with me every now and then. But last tell us time, what a, tell us what that means for those that don't know, gold star mom. So she lost her son Austin um, in Afghanistan when he was 19 years old. And um, I called her up last night. You know, we have Memorial Day coming up on Monday. Yeah. God and, bless him. Yeah. God bless her. Yeah. Thank you, God Austin, bless for all. your service. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I just couldn't fathom losing a, a son or daughter, you know, no. at their age. I mean, none no. of us can. No. And uh, so we kind of stick together, you know. I mean, you got to call each other on holidays and you know how uh, it is, battle yeah. buddy system. Yep. And uh, I take her hunting with me every now and then. But anyhow, okay, Kay shows up, and she's she's always she's this one she's from Texas, right? Everything Texas is big. She got this big purse, big blonde hair, you know, love her to death. <laughs> Would not mess with this woman. I mean, to carry, you know, she's always armed, you know. And uh, she's probably she's quite a bit older than me, but gosh, I love her. And uh, <laughs> so awesome. She's got this, and and one morning we're getting ready to go hunting. We're in my camper. I'll get to the the decoy in a second. We're in the camper and I look over and she's putting on these skinny jeans that are purple. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> she's like, well, the antelope don't care, do they? And I was like, oh my gosh. All right. <laughs> now, that'd be a sight to behold, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Out yeah. there, out there hunting antelope in purple skinny jeans. Yeah. A yeah. girl from Texas with big, big hair. Yeah. So, I like her. I like yeah, her already. Oh, oh God. You, you have to love Kay. Yeah. So I got, I got her dudded up in the right gear and uh, <laughs> we, we go over to the truck and she pulls out this black umbrella. I said, what is that? She goes, I seen this on TV. <laughs> like, she said, yeah, you use it like you're, like you're hiding behind a cow, you know? I think it's, I like it already. <laughs> so you get out. And, and you, this will remind you of the army too. So we get out there to wherever we're hunting the middle of nowhere and we start getting our gear out of the truck well of mm. course kay's got a lot of gear and an umbrella <laughs> okay. and purple and purple tight pants no, no we, we took care of the purple pants okay and uh, she's over here dragging all this stuff out and um she i mean just so much stuff and and you know she's trailing behind me you know dropping things and all this stuff and i'm just like okay <laughs> so, but it's be a tra- long hunt yeah, um, but she didn't bring the umbrella out again after that. But we we tried it and it could have worked, you know. Um, it didn't work that time, but mm-hmm. it, but that's what she was going to simulate was being behind a cow. So. Hey, you know, I mean, it, it, in the army we talk about cover and concealment, you know. Yeah. And and covers anything that protects you from you know a bullet or a you know a fragmentary grenade or something. You know, and concealment is anything that conceals, you know, your position, like camouflage or, or you know, natural foliage, you know, this kind of thing. So I get that right away. And I, I, I'll I, bet their eyesight, you know, he's, you know, we're spending a lot of time talking about antelope right here. And I, I know very little about it. I, I don't want to profess to be a, an accomplished antelope hunter because I am not. But I have picked up a few little tidbits along the way. And one of those is that's really interesting about the pronghorned uh, antelope is they could never figure out why it's so fast in North America. You know, it's so fast. It's 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 infinitely faster. Maybe not infinitely, but it's it a, a great deal faster than any predatory animal in North America. So the guys got you know the scientists started thinking like, hey, nature has a reason for everything, right? There, there's a reason that 
um, you know, antelope are that fast, but they're trying to scratch the head for why is it? You know what the answer is? What's that? Saber tooth tiger. Oh, okay. How do you like that? <laughs> I think that's super cool. So apparently the saber tooth tiger, which has been extinct for a long, long time, um, you know, was roaming what is North America today and um, at a very fast animal, which I can imagine. Um, and that's why the antelope are as fast as they are. Nature, you know, coded them or, 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 or g- genetically they evolved that way to be that fast so that they could outrun the saber tooth tiger. I don't know if that's true. But that's what so the biologist. That's what I heard a biologist say once upon a time. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna use that as my answer for why they're so fast. Yeah, and so that's every time I go out hunting a new animal because you know I did moose and elk last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. the antelope. Like every time I experience a new animal, I'm like, okay, what is their best senses? You know, what what am I gonna be running into? Is it is it sight, smell, you know, noise? Because yeah. they all they all kind of react different. You know, and mm-hmm. this antelope is their eyesight. They can like. See, I mean, they can smell too. You have to play wind direction, mm-hmm. but they can. They see have it. big eyes. They have, they big, have big eyes. eyes. <laughs> they can see around, like on the back of their head, almost. And, yeah. and when they when they all lay down, like they'll all be laying down in a prairie, they they lay down like all looking. You know, they have their own sector. Good security. It's, it's just you no, know, it's true. <laughs> right, right. Everybody, because the leader says, "All right, everybody, face out, take a knee, drink water." <laughs> now, like star cluster out, and you know, I got sector alpha king Zulu. Roger. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. So if I had to give some advice, John, I'd say that it was a another first sergeant that I knew in the army that said, "Hey, I'll take you antelope hunting sometime." His name was Justin. And you know, I've been on events, I've been all different places. People are like, "Oh, come on out, I'll take you to do this or that." Mm-hmm. And we're all like, "Yeah, okay, you know, maybe I'll do that sometime." And we we kind of just never do, you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, I didn't the first year after he asked me, and the second year I went out. I, I said, I think I'll try this, you know, and I, and I've been doing it for four or five years after that, you mm-hmm. know, I, I got addicted to hunting, stalking and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Well, well, I, I, you know, I, I like say in the program, I, I've been, I've been archering, archery hunting since, you know, long, long time ago. And I don't know how many years, long, many years. And, um, I recently switched over to, to a crossbow because, well, uh, Frankly, you know, some of my joints don't like, you know, it's not it's not an issue of strength for me. Mm-hmm. It's an issue of my joints not liking it. Okay. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it is for me anyway, to pull back a, you know, a compound bow and hold it there. And it's one thing to do it once or twice, but you have to practice to be good, which means you have to go to the range, you know, so there's more of this and I can, I like, I just can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. So I switched over to crossbow. Sorry, but not sorry. Okay, so I, I switch over to crossbow, and I get this Raven, and um, which is a manu- uh, uh, you know is manufactured uh, it's crossbow manufactured up in in Wisconsin, and um, I had no idea like what that experience would be like. I had dealt with a lot of crossbows because we have you know Camp Hackett up there, and, and lots of people over the years have donated crossbows, and they become very popular today. The reason I'm mentioning this is because those darn things, the one I have you know, is, is shooting arrows at like 420 feet per second. Like, it's like, a, it's like, you can't even see it. It's so fast. Now, most compound bows are launching arrows at three, 325. And today they're getting close to 400. I get it. Technology is moving all around. And the, you know, speed, speed is something every, the, the speed freaks are around every corner. So everybody wants a super fast bow. By the end of the day, those crossbows, the one I have, I, I haven't ever shot at anything over, I think, 40 yards because I haven't had to. But I can promise you one thing, that you could zero that thing and effectively effectively hit a target at, I'm just going to say 100 yards. I think 75, no problem. 100 yards, probably. I wouldn't have to practice and see how that goes. But um, my point is, you know, with a, with a weapon system like that, which is still archery, and I don't know what the rules in South Dakota are, because every state's a little bit different, but I would feel pretty darn comfortable humping that thing across terrain, uh, you know, with a, or without an umbrella and, and, and shooting something, you know, at that distance. And I think that's as close, you know, if you could get to 175 yards to an antelope, they're spooky as heck. 
You know that. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, uh, you know, you figure with your compound bow, you got to be, you know, you would you take a shot at 60? I mean, at a prairie dog, but nothing bigger. You would you wouldn't you if you had the if you had a really good shot at an antelope at, at fifty yards would you take it? Yes. Okay, you can do fifty with yours. I mean, I'm gonna try. If I've been walking for four days, right? Of course you are. Get close to an animal, and you get you get fifty fifty yards from from him, and it's a good yeah. shot. It's a good you got a good shot. You'd take it. Yeah, I wouldn't shoot a deer at fifty yards. You wouldn't take it. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't shoot at a white-tailed deer at fifty yards. No. Well, God bless you. I like that. I've never done it. I've never shot anything with my bow over, I think, 40 yards. I think that's it. That's all I've ever done. I, you know, because I hunt, I mostly hunt in the north woods of Wisconsin. Everything's real close and personal. But well, I, I have, have, I have a light draw weight, so I can't, like, I want an effective kill on a whitetail. And yeah. usually I'm, I'm from a deer, I'm in a deer stand, you know. So. Yeah, I've seen some of your Facebook pictures, which are awesome. You know, you, that part of the country is beautiful. And you have a farm, right? Right? You have a farm? Yeah, I have some land up in Prairie Home. It's not where you live? It's about an hour away. It's in Missouri. It's close to the Missouri River also. So So you got big monsters, big, big timber bucks running around out there, right? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, you wouldn't <laughs> say if you did. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's great. Well, you know, I've had a, I, I've really enjoyed our time together here. I, 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 I have. I gotta. I'm gonna ask you just one more question, Crystal, uh, and then you, you can talk for as long as you want. I, I do appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're a very busy person, and you're probably on your lunch hour, so we appreciate that very much. Um, but you know, since you've been involved in the foundation and you've been serving other Purple, Purple Heart recipients on these events, if you would. Please tell our listening audience about what that experience serving, you know, continuing to serve or, or serving in, in a leadership capacity, going on these events and activities. And now you've created your own event and you're going to hunt an- antelope. You had a huge successful fundraiser. You did amazing there, by the way. You really did at first year out the block. I mean, I'm just, we're all so impressed and thankful for, for what you're doing because you're, you know, it's not easy getting, 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 you know, getting somebody to give you a dollar to support our combat wounded. That's, that's just, it's really hard to do. And, and you did a great job at that. But tell us, please, you know, what does this experience mean to you, you know, in, in, in terms of um, why you do it? Well, I, I believe that's part of the full circle of life. You know, you have, I don't, I've read books on it before, but I'm not sure, but giving back as part of making you feel fulfilled, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you get to a certain point in your life, you got to do more. There's something more to life and you don't realize that what that is yet till you get to that point in life. And I, I mean, I'm there, you know, it's time for me to, you know, I've, I've experienced, you know, I've, I've, I've been out there in the real world and I've lived life and, and now I just, you know, I want to give back in some way. And I'm, and I'm seeing how America is so great and, you know, and giving back to, um, so, um, the, like the fundraiser I had, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, the first time I've done one of those and, and I, it was an eye opener because I've gone on all these events and, and they're great and all, but I didn't realize what was behind every event that happens. Mm-hmm. So, um, I went ahead and had my own and, and, you know, I told myself, you know, I started in November and my dinner was going to be in March. And I told myself, I am never doing this again. Like this has taken so much out of my life. You know, I'm a combat vet. I need me time. I need that relaxed mm-hmm. time, but I'm like busy all hours of the day trying to prep for this thing, you know? Um, and then at the end of the event, the very, you know, the night when everybody's gone and I'm sitting in the room all by myself, I'm like, I can't not do this again. Yeah, like I don't know how I went from this to that. You know, Mm -hmm. you're just like, oh, it's so much work, but it is a lot of work when you don't have a a big team yet. You know, Mm -hmm. like the first time you do something, Mm -hmm. um, you kind of got to go through it yourself before you know. You know, and um, wow, you know, um, so I was I was amazed that my my wild game dinner I had. You know, I have all this moose and elk in my freezer, Mm -hmm. so. Um, when I had had a wild game dinner, all the support that showed up. Um, I had a volunteer auctioneer, Brian, who 
I didn't, uh, you know, just somebody at the VFW is like, try this guy out. I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know very well, but I'll try him. You know, he's not certified auctioneer, but he, he showed up, you know? Mm. And then once we got there, I had two other auctioneers in the crowd. They're like sitting on their hands wanting to help, you know? And so now I got three auctioneers all, you know, standing up, voicing their opinion. And, um, I don't know. I had Kay there. I had a girl sing that, um, star spangled banner, Casey Mm. and, um, people. And then at the very end of the auction, um, that we had, people were donating services or just like, Oh, you know, I just kept coming to the auctioneer. Let's do this. Let's do this. I'll, I'll donate two loads of gravel. Hey, I'll donate a house wash. You know, I'll donate some Airbnb mm. time. And I'm just like overwhelmed how moved everybody was yeah. and how they wanted to help and to bring this out for people to be able to help as well. You know, I mean, I'm helping, but to be able to share that so other people can help, you know, it was, it was pretty great. You know. Yeah, it, 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 that's the one thing I I appreciate you sharing that with us, um, and and I can echo the same, you know, sentiments. Having you know done this a while, um, what what amazes me, and and it kind of brings me back and rejuvenates my soul every time is 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 people who do step up to the plate, and and they do give, you know, of their time their energy, their resources to, to help put on an event like this. And, and it's expensive business, you know, I mean, it, you know, it generally is we're, we're providing world-class outdoor sporting activities to our nation's combat wounded Purple Heart recipients. And we're doing that at no cost to them. And well, you go, okay, so let's just say that somebody, you know, Joe Blow decides that he's going to go, uh, he lives in Florida, and he's going to go deer hunting, archery hunting in Missouri, okay? And he starts to plan the trip, or she starts to plan the trip. There's, an, there, you know, there's airfare involved, there's baggage involved, there's lodging, there's chow, there's licenses. You know, there's all these things that have to happen, you know, to get one person to go do an event like that. And typically, if you were going to go do that for three or four days, you know, especially if you're going to go on private land, you're going to have to pay somebody to do that, like a guide. You know, and you and I both know, because we've done it, you know, both have done it a lot. But it, that an average event like that, an activity like that, is going to cost at least $5,000. I mean, yeah. at least $5,000, okay? And we're delivering four to five combat wins. So the, the total price tag on any event that we do, you know, is going to be pretty close to $20,000. You know, and you go, wow, well, that's a lot of money. Yes, but they deserve it. They earned it. You know, they went off to some country, got wounded, you know, rose their right hand, swore to defend the Constitution and the orders of the officers appointed over them, and they got wounded and had to take their uniform off, you know, and and, and in many cases, you know, uh, their dream was over and their life has changed forever. And I think living in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, that we ought to be able to provide one hunt a year for every Purple Heart recipient that 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 you know that that we have in this country, and that seems right to me. You know that seems that seems like that would be a good payback. Hey, if you're interested in in the outdoors and connecting with your fellow brothers and sisters, you know, and you want people to, uh, you you know, that nobody acknowledges this, but we all want to feel like what we did was important. And it was valued by the Americans in this country, right? Yes. I wanted that. I wanted that. You know, I wanted it silently. You know, I just wanted to come home and say, well, what I did, you know, maybe somebody out there would appreciate what, what I did, right? And, and what a bunch of other great Americans did, you know, from essentially World War II to present time. And... um and so, you know, this is an opportunity for Americans to give back, uh, to support our those that I think deserve it uh, the most, uh, the combat wounded. So we do appreciate everybody's support, and a big shout out and thank you to your entire community of support there. What you what you've done is nothing short of amazing. You're a great leader. Uh, we're we're honored uh, to have you on this team, and very appreciative of what you did while you were wearing a uniform and certainly very appreciative of what you're doing now 
uh, after you've taken the uniform off. And, and I want to uh, give you a, a, a sharp salute and a huge thank you. And uh, just want to make sure that we recognize you according, accordingly because you really are a great American hero. And, and we thank you for all you've done, Crystal. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. It was a great interview. I'm going to give you the last word. Is there anything you'd like to say? You can take a crack at me. Remember that funny hat I wore? I had a, for those that don't know, I had a beautiful buffalo hat on. I was very proud of it. It was a knit cap. We were, it was freezing in Illinois. We were at a fundraiser. You, you drove your car there, and I had this, this, this funny you know, buffalo hat that I was very proud of, and it was freezing cold, and you just looked at it and said, you know what, sir, that, that's a ridiculous-looking hat. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, yeah. Every time I put it on, I have to think of that. It makes me it chuckle. Is. It's warm. And and speaking of hats, so I really like uh, Randy Newberg. Are you familiar? Mm-mm. Oh, he. I mean, he's on TV, I guess. But okay. he's he's this finance retired finance guy, and he okay. has this antelope hat, right? Because okay. you know all about antelope, and it's just a head. Like, so you appear oh. to be an antelope if you're. I like it. Like Jeremiah yeah. Johnson might have done. See, I'm already I'm already interested. <laughs> right. So I was just like, oh, I want one of those. But you know. Be probably because it's unsafe. Like somebody might shoot you Actually, wearing an antelope hat, which I don't think during archery, you know, you're going to get shot by somebody. But during gun season, it would probably be unsafe. I'm not sure they manufacture them anymore. But anyhow, there there is a hat out there I've been looking for, and it's it I looks like it, an antelope. <laughs> I think the combination of antelope antelope hat and 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 purple stretch pants might be the way to go. That's, that's probably. We're doing it wrong, John. Uh, I, mean, I know. Yeah. I, mean, I never know. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. Great job with everything. Thanks for being yeah. on the on the program. Uh, Godspeed to you and 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 to your daughter there as she becomes a, a commissioned officer. It's really great. Keep doing what you're doing. And uh, thanks again for all you've done. Thanks for all you do. Okay. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. To learn more about the mission of the Wounded Warriors in Action Foundation and how you can get involved, please visit our website at www.iaf.org or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the WWIA podcast and for helping us honor, connect, and heal our combat wounded Purple Heart heroes through the power of the great outdoors. If you like what you're listening to here and would like to join our team in our mission to bring healing power and recovery to America's Purple Heart Heroes, please become part of our Sponsor a Hero team by clicking on the link in the podcast notes or by going to wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. That's wwiaf.org forward slash sponsor. Our heroes need you now more than ever. Thank you.